Hello, and welcome to today's episode of Served by SHFM, your food service hospitality podcast. The Society for Hospitality and Food Service Management is a community of like-minded professionals seeking educational, developmental, and networking opportunities to enrich their personal and professional goals. Hello, and welcome back to Served by SHFM, your food service hospitality podcast. We're your hosts, Michael Moore. And Danielle Pedersen. In today's episode, we're going to take a deeper look at how to bring heart to the corporate world. We'll touch more on what that means in just a minute, but first, let's introduce our guest for today. Today, we're joined by Umbone Umbima, the VP of Brand Strategy at David Rio Coffee and Tea, and also the author of the best article I have written yet. Yeah, can, can we take can it? We, I was going to say, yeah, Danny, we have to talk about that. We have yeah. to talk about that article, please. So you wrote an article. <laughs> named the best article I have written yet. Um, and, you know, it's it's part of an ongoing session. By the way, I think uh, I followed you on, on one of your, um, I think it was actually on your website. I'm the first follower that you have on there, which makes mm-hmm. me the most important and best mm-hmm. for all time. Mm-hmm. Um, but the thing that struck Danny and I, I think about that article was not just the content, the content I want to talk about, but that is a bold choice for the name of an article. How do you jump into that? How do you land there? <laughs> oh, gosh. First of all, thank you for having me. And, um, you know, I'm in marketing. And so um, that definitely is a marketing strategy because, um, well, it's true. It is the best article I've ever written. But um, yet, definitely. But there's room to grow. Mm-hmm. There's another one cooking. Um, but. Yeah, because I took all the small pieces of wisdom that I have come through over the years, not just as a brand strategist, as an organizational development strategist, but also as a coach. And I just kind of made it simple and easy for anyone to be able to absorb it as fast as they can, because I had been writing a book and then I thought, well, then how... You know, how do you spend the time, you know, reading the book? How can I get this content to you um, efficiently and make it accessible um, efficiently? And so that's the story behind that. And I think doing an article is a great idea, especially because, you know, so many people only have so much time available to read something. Mm-hmm. So breaking out concepts into article size, bite size that they can scroll through on their phone makes that information more accessible. So Heck yes. Absolutely. And that's that that's what the whole idea was. And there was a lot of, I think, really good and most importantly practical advice in there. Some some advice you hear from, from these different um, you know motivational speakers, which I feel like you qualify for. You everything that comes out of your mouth makes me want to do better than I am right now. But a lot of the articles that you read, they sometimes have um, a bit of you know, an unrealistic take on things. Like, I can't do that. Maybe that's too much. But everything in there seemed very practical. The one thing that I think would be hardest for me is you asked for us to, in some cases, stop trying. What? Why, why would I stop trying? Because I am one that if something doesn't work, I will continually smash my head against the wall until I get to the other side or I perish. <laughs> so far, I've gotten through, but I know it's not a good long-term plan. So tell, what, is, what is the thought behind that? No, because I, I'm sure you've experienced this over the years. I mean, 
all kidding aside, you keep banging your head and the answer is not going to come from that space. And so if, I mean, showing grace to yourself or even um, creating space for the possibility of what it is you are trying to accomplish is actually stopping because really that's a big indicator that you're walking in the wrong direction. And hmm. so now it's like you wanna, like you are putting yourself in a position to argue like with a GPS, it's telling you turn left and you're like, no, I'm going right. And it just keeps telling you to turn left. So the best, the easiest accessible thing you can do at that point is just stop. <laughs> And then when you stop, then you can start to go in a different direction. But that's why. Is it in a lot of ways the smarter, not harder mindset? Absolutely. Smarter, not harder. And, and you know, here's the thing. I want to say something that I think is controversial, but I think in time it will catch on. Life does not have to be that hard. We doesn't. So difficult for ourselves, especially what? when you're in these, um, you know, senior roles or you're trying to build your career and all that. You just start to grind and, you know, you get in the flow of grind and it really doesn't have to be. It really doesn't. I, I'm i going to work that. So maybe my New Year. Is it too early for a New Year's resolution? Depends it's never too early. Yeah. Depends <laughs> on when we bring this up. Um yeah, maybe that's my New Year's resolution is to not not stop trying. That sounds really depressing, but stop, stop efforting when uh, you know when when it's clearly not working, and maybe be a little bit smarter about some things. And I think that has so many applications, right? Because it's not just in your career; it's in relationships, it's in things that you do in your personal life. That doesn't mean that it's a good excuse to not go to the gym, but you know, think about how you're. A, you're approaching that. Like if you're just trying to hit a certain goal and you set the goal too high, stop doing that and then revisit it so that you can make that initiative work for you. Yeah. And the thing that I would add is whenever you're in a space of efforting, it, you usually are so narrow, like your focus is so narrow that you don't even see any other possibilities outside of what is happening for you. And that's why I say stop, because if you stop, then you can pull back and see. But then when you're in it like that, you really, as you said, you'll just keep banging your head and you're not going to get, yeah. that was a, get a different alternative. That was another great, great um, segment that you had in there, which was uh, it was something along the lines of and, and correct me on this. It was, you know, you can't solve a problem in the same headspace in which you found yourself in that problem or you or you got to that problem something along those lines and i thought that was really profound can you talk about that for a second yeah absolutely so you know when you identify a problem or an issue or or something you're in different you're in problem identity mode if you will so what you're likely to do, because everything gains momentum, everything is energy, you're more likely to see more problems. So really any, any true new solution or thought process has to be arrived at from a different space. Um, and, and really this, this is for the you know, bigger, bigger things we have going on, you know, when you're thinking about systemic issues and all of that. 
um, you really do have to step back because there's so much momentum and all those things. There's so much opinions, thoughts. And so it, it becomes very difficult to solve from that same perspective. I'll give an example, you know, with diversity and inclusion. Yes, when we see bias and all these things happen, um, that same mindset, if you don't move out of that mindset, you will only um, solve at the at the basic level. So maybe you'll do anti-programs, you know, anti-racism programs, anti-blah, blah. But in the larger picture, what we really want to do is make diversity and inclusion irrelevant because it's a given fact. But in order to get to that space, you have to be in a different mindset. Isn't some I, of that, that thought process, sorry, Danny, go ahead. No, go for it, Mike. Isn't some of that process uh, that you talk about, if, you, if you're only contributing to anti-campaigns, you're not really getting where you want to go instead of, it's like an exclusion campaign versus an inclusion, inclusion campaign. Correct. And, and something I shared recently um, with my team is that, you know, when it comes to some of these larger issues, we we really cannot solve from the brain because the brain is binary. So it's either right or wrong, yes or no. And that doesn't open you up to any possibilities. And the other piece, and I'm gonna totally nerd out over here, <laughs> is that, you know, the, the most um, recent um, research uh, in science and physics is showing that, you know, our heart space has neurons, meaning that we can make decisions from the heart space. And when you make decisions from the heart space, it's no longer binary. You are now open to different ways of thinking about a different solution. And we've always done this. It's just the science is now catching up and showing us that this is how um, we are able to innovate. This is how we're able to um, put an end to, you know, large problems like, you know, um, smallpox and, and all these things that, you know, one time were a huge issue in, in humanity and now have been um, solved. But that thinking that opens you up to so many possibilities doesn't occur in the binary thought system where there's right or wrong. It happens when you open up to absolutely anything. So I'm so curious, how did you get to this point where you're looking and thinking about things from a heart space and not necessarily from a head space, right? Because everybody's just like, oh, it's all your brain smarts and whatnot. But obviously you're wildly successful. You're a VP of brand strategy. You've had a really successful career. Take us back to where that journey started with, with your heart space and how that kind of leads you to where you are, where you are today. Yeah, absolutely. So interestingly enough, I mean, so I come from a family that's, um, most of my family is in the nonprofit world, whether it's for animal welfare and conservation or uh, children and women in marginalized uh, countries and so on and so forth. So there's always been that part of me that's just felt like we have to do something um, to make a difference. But I didn't quite follow in that in those footsteps because I went into corporate America. But even within corporate America, I've always had my foot in the in the um, philanthropy space. So like, for instance, when I worked for um, the Compass Group, I worked with Bank of America with the Kidney Foundation. 
right now in my current role, I work with the International Fund for Animal Welfare. So there's that piece to it. But also I I have always um, had an intrinsic knowledge that we, a lot of the, the turmoil that we have, not just in the world, in the office space, in the corporate space, is um, based on fear. And you know, the opposite of love is not hate, actually fear. And fear will motivate you to do things that don't um, want. No, I, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, We'll just keep going. I think I think you're yeah. on a roll, and I love what you're talking about. And okay, because we'll... I was hearing background noise, and so I was like, "Should I pause?" Okay. You know, it's it's just a it's a ghost in the in the system. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so yeah, the opposite of love is not hate; it's fear. And when you are operating from a space of fear, one, you cannot learn. You you can only learn when you're in a space when you feel safe, when you feel comfortable. When you're fearful, um, you protect yourself. And protection comes in different ways, whether it's not cooperating with your workmates or sabotaging a campaign or just not committed to you know, giving 100% or bringing your whole self, but it shows up in all those ways. When we are fearful, we, we clamor. And so I think I remember almost like yesterday when it hit me, like when that epiphany hit me, I know I was 21 because... Um, it was just shortly after my birthday and I was able to go and buy alcohol in the United States. So I remember it like it was yesterday. Hello. <laughs> Which is saying something because yeah. usually people don't remember much after that. I'm like, I'm legal. We all totally wait. <laughs> but um, I, I say that because, uh, so it's like I knew it intrinsically and then I went to school, I learned it, I learned the science and all of it. But I recently um, heard from, I was watching one of these um, big memes in the world of um, quantum physics who was saying that, you know, the intellect can only take you so far. And he was talking about it from a, from a um, frequency perspective, like your intelligence will only take you so far after which it becomes a problem. It's the very thing that then does not allow you to be able to evolve even higher. And so like, for instance, when we talk about efforting or, you know, um, you know, putting all your um, effort into something that's not working, usually it's because you're using all your intellect to try and figure it out. And the answer will not come from there. And therefore you have to stop and, and step back and, and look at it. But so this is why I kind of came up with that whole idea of um, my secret agenda <laughs> is to bring back love to the workplace. And by love, what I mean is being in a space to be open, to bring your whole self, to be able to, to give your full talent. Because if everyone was to come into the office and give their full talents, we would be much further along than we are with all our corporations and, and everything that's possible for all of us. Um, but we cannot do that if we come into spaces fearful. Well, I hate to break it to you, but I assume we now have probably 10 million listeners, maybe more, maybe a lot more world. than that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whole world. I don't want to throw billions around, but probably on the low end. We're so your deal. secret, yeah, we... <laughs> 
I, you know, mahogany everywhere over here, but you know, the secret's going to be out after this, which I think is awesome because it is, it's a topic that, you know, we're going to dive into more in just a minute, but I love the, the idea of taking something when you think about corporate, I don't know. I always think about like, you know, stainless steel and white walls and, you know, policy and cookie cutter. And you're talking about something that is just uh, at its base, almost, it seems like the antithesis of that, which is heart, which is operating on feeling and understanding and compassion and empathy, that it's hard, it's hard to marry those ideas at first glance. But I, I love that you're pioneering a way to do that. Yeah, no, absolutely. Because, um, I mean, you bring up a good point. This is the thing, like, with my background in organizational development, we've come from an industrial age. And the reason why organizations look the way they look today is based on that model. And so that model served us then. But in order for us to evolve into whatever it is that we are becoming by way of innovation, by way of profitability, sustainability, and so forth, it has to come from a different mindset. It cannot come from the same because if you keep doing the same things, you get this. And for our listeners, the Industrial Revolution was in the 1800s. So we're working with an organizational mindset that's over 150 years old. That's not how one innovates. <laughs> That's a great point. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say that, I mean, there are many organizations that have made a conscious effort to kind of make this shift. I mean, I would, I would say our company is doing that. Uh, companies like LinkedIn have like leaders in mindfulness and things like that. And the reason you're seeing these things come up is because there's actually a direct correlation to employee engagement, retention, profitability, innovation, because when people bring their whole selves to work, then the possibilities become much more endless than when they come, you know, within this limited mindset. So I think that's a really good launching point for my next question, because you're really known for making people be aware of their comfort zone and try and pushing them out of it. Right. And so as we're talking about these organizations that have things like mindfulness, and I know some of our listeners are probably like, oh, well, that seems like some new age nonsense that these millennials are bringing into the workspace. ET <laughs> <But> millennials. <laughs> there's an actual science to it. And so talk to us a bit about how you you yourself has pushed have pushed you out of your own comfort zone and how you've helped your team members get out of that comfort zone as well. So it's a work in progress. That's such a great question. It's a work in progress and it depends on what your goals are, your intentions are. Where I start off with, if there's something that's not in your experience, your current experience that you want um, and it's not there, it means it resides outside your comfort zone. Otherwise, you'd already have it. Um, and that's why I, I will push because people will have dreams. They'll say, you know, one day this, one day that. Well, that day could be today. <laughs> but the only thing in your way is you. <laughs> and the only way to do something different is to actually start building that muscle because it is a muscle. And so I always say, you know, start off by taking a new route home or just doing something that you don't normally do. Because the moment you start getting comfortable with being uncomfortable, you open, your, you, you open yourself up to possibilities, you open yourself up to see different things, opportunities, 
And then now you have access to that thing that you wanted that you don't yet have in your experience. And so, I mean, with the team, it's the same way. Like when I when I spot um, that when I spot the limited um, viewpoint, then I'll challenge. I'll say, is it outside of your comfort zone? Then what makes it outside your comfort zone? And then we'll go down that route. But um, I, I usually will pull this in when people are feeling they're dissatisfied or we are trying to think of, you know, a new solution to something. And I think this really ties into what you were touching on before, where people operate from a place of fear in a lot of their workspaces. And so there's that fear of failure that a lot of people have where they're like, I don't want to try something new because I don't want to do bad, or I'm just starting this new job. So I'm going to try and hide my mistakes and not, that doesn't really help them get out of their comfort zone because you're not getting that feedback. You're not learning how to grow and improve. So just wanted to tie, tie that together. No, absolutely. And, and you know, cultures will, is what a culture, a company culture is what will determine how that ambiguity or learning process is taken. If the culture is closed, just like, you know, in the same way, then yeah, outside comfort zone is not going to be tolerated. But there are so many other predictions I can make about that company in terms of their innovation and how long they'll stay in business. Um, and so I think even um, employers are having to look at their cultures and seeing are these cultures open, are these cultures learning cultures, are these cultures helping us grow, are they inclusive, and so on and so forth. But you make such a great point, Danny. So you, you've built a career on... Um, making people uncomfortable in a good way, thinking, thinking, you know, instead of pushing through a problem, thinking around it, um, obviously you're, you're doing wonderful things at David Rio and you're, and you're trying to inject heart into a setting that doesn't seem on its surface, like it can fit, which we know it can, it can be done and it should be done. And I think, you know, everything you're doing is an amazing first step to generating awareness and actually putting it into practice at David Rio. But, you know, one thing that you always talk about is authenticity um, and, and being authentic in your intentions. And what, is, what does that mean? And how does that work with all of this together? Yeah, no, that's a great question because um, <clears throat> authenticity is not that complicated, but it can be depending on how far away you have gone from yourself. <laughs> Fair enough. Oh, I love that. Well, and I think that's a good point because a lot of the times when somebody's introduced, right? So they'll introduce themselves with what their job is, but that's not who they are as a person. That doesn't tell you any anything about them. It's no. When my partner introduces himself to people, it's always like, I'm an international jujitsu practitioner. And he's like ranked. And then at the end, he's like, and I'm an engineer and I am a cloud economist. Like the job is at the end. Right, absolutely. And you know, this is the beauty of, of life. Really, we get to define what that is. We get to define what that is for ourselves. And if you, um, for me specifically, authenticity meant um, a number of things because as I've shared probably with the both of you before, like I, I was born and raised in Kenya, but moved around a little bit. And so over the years, like I picked up different um, 
way, different accents, different ways of thinking. And at some point I got exhausted and I just decided I was going to be me. So that means then what is me? What is me is this accent that I have that's kind of weird. It has some twang in it and it has some British water in it. You know, it has all these things going on in it, but this is me. Um, in addition to that, and then I define it further in the sense that I want to be, um, and I am being a catalyst for change in that um, for me, what I want my legacy to be is introducing this um, concept of, of heart into this, what seems like to be a cold space. And so, but that's something I defined for myself. So after I defined it for myself, then I move in the world with it. And for me, that's what authenticity means. So one, it's being comfortable in your own skin as you are and trusting that people will receive you just fine. Because I think a lot of us are not authentic because we think that who we are is not cool enough or smart enough or just not enough. And it really is. And I can't tell you that every day I feel like I'm enough. It's a work in progress. But um, there are some days I wake up and I'm like, high five, Mbone, you're killing it. I mean, <laughs> but it's something that I have to, I, I work on and, and I make sure that um, I'm present to. I feel like that's something, just the idea that you're, you're not enough is something that is so embedded in our culture for oh, so yeah. long. And, you know, it's something that we, you know, I'm, I'm a parent of, of two young humans that we're trying, you know, I think everybody tries to do better than, you know, whatever experience they had. And I had a, had a great and, and privileged experience, but at the same time, there are things where we look at our kids, we're like, I never want my daughter to have a body image issue or my son to have a body image issue. I never want them to think that just because they're not good at something means they're not good at anything or that they shouldn't keep trying. Like just because all these things that you just said, it made me look back, you know, you know, you have those flash moments of when you were a kid and I just thought of like pretty much everything up until really I became a dad. I think when perspective for me changed drastically and I, I wish we could get that mentality and find a way to work that into people just going into our industry or any industry that no matter where you're at, you're good enough. You're, you're doesn't mean you can't be better and you don't want to be better, but you're still good enough for, for you. And that's all that matters. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it starts with the leadership um, at, the, at the very top, because when you, when you model that behavior, then that tells everybody that it's okay. <laughs> Mm -hmm. to be yourself and, and and you are good enough. And so I think it starts at the top. Um, and then in addition to that, like recognizing the, so when you look at an organization and I'm going to try and keep this very, I'm going to try and not nerd out on this one, but you gotta understand. <laughs> nerd away. Go for it. <laughs> you gotta understand how the connectivity within networks. So you need the leadership to model this, and then you need the the, the bonies of this world who are in the in the organization already kind of carrying that torch to spread that. And so you you specifically um, work with 
people that you identify within the network that are carrying that in order to infuse it into the culture if it's something that you are intentionally incorporating it into your company. Um, but yeah, it starts with leadership. It starts at the very top. It's like having a conscious leader, which I know is uh, like a leadership style is con conscious leadership. Um, where, you know, it, it talks exactly about what you're talking about, where, you know, you don't have to be so achievement driven, like that's nice, but don't let that deduct from who you are or essentially having you be entirely wrapped up in achievement. And I think that American culture really is so heavily focused on you hitting certain mile markers and getting certain achievements. And if you don't hit those, well, then obviously you're not good enough to do that when that's not the case. That's just the way that our current system is laid out. And I really appreciate that you are pushing people to think outside of the current system. Like we acknowledge that things aren't entirely optimal. So we have to really think critically about it in order to change it. Um, and so moving from that, you know, you're navigating through this corporate world and we all know that corporate language can be a bit of a hassle to learn, especially if, you know, one, English isn't your first language. And two, if, you know, you're not used to speaking that. And I know for people like us that tend to be very heart focused, it's the, well, you're too emotional. Um, <laughs> but how did you learn to find that correct corporate language to have, have your message reach the people that it needs to reach most? So this, and this is the beauty of, um, and that's such a great question. This is the beauty of the age that we're living in right now, because as I had mentioned a little bit earlier, it's like the science has finally caught up with, um, with what it is that a lot of us intrinsically know, even if we may not always practice. And so it, with that said, it has become easier to build a business case around um, around this. And like I mentioned a little bit earlier, it, it, so here's the thing, culture drives strategy. And in order to have a culture that's going to drive your strategy, you have to invest in how that culture is. And investing in that culture means that you have to retain your employees. You have to engage your employees. You want your employees to show up fully so that they're giving you all the possibilities that are available to you. Especially like here in the United States, we're moving away from a model where a lot of our jobs are pro like process driven and it's more about you know innovating in the IT and all these things and therefore it's more important than before to be able to come to the table with outside of the box thinking and so in order to do that then we have to start looking at tools that we didn't have before and these are things like mindfulness and you know they're collecting all this data now and they're able to show the productivity the, they're able to tie that back to the profitability of you know a unit a team an organization and really that's how it, it's been possible to to incorporate these um these this language this work within the corporate environment so, you know, we've covered so much here where, you know, we've gotten to know a little bit about your background. You have a, a you know, you were raised in different countries, you have different accents that make you up, but then you found 
that those are experiences that help shape you, but not necessarily you. And, and you found what makes you comfortable and in your own skin. And every day that's an evolution. And from there, you've, you've found and landed yourself in a position where not only can you continue to grow that way, but most importantly, I think you can set an example for many other organizations out there as to why it's so important to invest in the individual and invest in employees and not numbers necessarily. And that by doing the first one, you get the second one in a much more efficient and better way. But, you know, all of the ideas are so big, I think sometimes as a manager out there, whether you're an HR or GM or whatever, you know, for our listeners, they might look at this and say, those are all great ideas. I don't know where to start. What advice can you give to somebody that wants to take what you're saying to heart? You know, what, what small things can they do to get started? Yeah, I mean, great question, Michael. Um, the first thing that adds, there are different places you can look over here. Um, the first one I would say is you, as the person that wants to make the change, start going outside your comfort zone, period. And it doesn't have to be, you know, rocket science doesn't mean that you get the whole team to Disney like next week. But, uh, you know, it's, I mean, it's not a bad idea, but it's just, it's, it's something small. Take a different route home, talk to somebody you've never spoken to before in the team. It's just do something different that you haven't done before and keep, keep a tally on it every day. Make sure at least, at least you do it once or twice, because what, what starts to happen is it's like you open yourself up and then you start generating new thoughts for yourself and new ways to think about whatever issues you are dealing with within the organization. Or you start to see different gaps that weren't so obvious to you. But that's because you're not sitting in the same space that, you know, discovered this um, issue or that I need to change or we need to do something differently. So the first thing I'd say is just start by doing something outside of your comfort zone, something that you don't do every day because that starts to build the muscle that starts to give you different perspective. And then I would say like, you know, on a practical note, like if you are dealing with, if there's a specific um, project you're working on that you're trying to solution or, or whatever, um, try and um, take on that project with a different lens. So I don't know if that means using another team to think through it that's not an expert in that area because while they might give you very elementary or just not expertise solutions you might find that there's a thought process that's introduced that's returned to the primary team that they can work with and develop so it really boils down to just change it up change it up just do something different and and see where you're going. And, and the thing about this is that every time you do something um, different and outside your comfort zone, it's like you become more confident on how to move forward. Um, so when you first start out, it might feel a little discombobulating because it's like, okay, I, I did that, that didn't feel great, whatever. But after a while, it's like you, you become more confident and more directed. And therefore now you can actually start curating things you can start being intentional with um this new way of thinking this new process but that's why i say it's a muscle you have to build the muscle up so that then it empowers you in moving in that direction 
That's awesome. And it makes me think too about how we approach creativity. So a lot of people, if you ask them if they draw or something, they're like, oh, I could draw a stick figure. But what you're asking people to do is be creative, to find something new, do something different and approach things from that creative aspect. So I think it's also about empowering your team members to be creative and to get into that space where you can kind of approach things from that childlike wonder. And that's where we see a lot of successful artists thrive in is that they can approach things from that sort of perspective. And so we're just trying to get other people to think like artists a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I'll give you an example in our organization. Um, uh, many years ago, uh, one of our founders um, had uh, a, a glass of a fizzy water and then she put in a Altoid and she came up with a concept called Metromint, simple like that. <laughs> And Metromint went on to become a very um, successful brand, which was later on sold off. But, you know, creating that space so that you're able to do things like that. And so at David Real, it's, I mean, we just, we have these moments where we spend just thinking about different products or different ways of doing things. Even our meetings, we keep on changing them up. Like our quarterly meetings will try this, we'll try that, but it just keeps the space and energy open, allowing us to all um, have a different experience. It, it reminds me a lot, uh, Danny, of our conversation with Kevin Dorr a few weeks ago, where he was talking about how um, all the changes in our industry and food service and hospitality have spurned a lot of innovation. And the idea of failing forward has been embraced more, where employees are being given the latitude and the liberty to try, to try things that they weren't traditionally accepted or to try things that are new or different. And yes, they probably fail more often than they succeed. But I think the empowerment that comes with that liberty, the, the thought that my employer, my company, my colleagues will value my effort, even if it's outside of my comfort zone, if it makes me uncomfortable, uh, but I'm still trying and embracing that challenge. And, you know, maybe you find something great. And it sometimes it is as simple as, you know, a mint and some carbonated water. Boom. And I'd say like, you know, something like Slack. I mean, we all use Slack now and that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> they were supposed to, they were trying to make something else and it, it failed. But now see this product that is being used by, you know, several organizations, not just here in the United States, but all over the world. And so I always come back to what is failure? I mean, we can deconstruct what failure is because it could be um, fake prototype one, uh, yeah. prototype two or whatever. But yeah, what is failure? Um, I, I think there's an opportunity there to really, in, in order for us to, to gain from it, I think we need to shift how we define it. And I think that's a great thought and question for our listeners to ponder. Well, I want to say thank you so much, Mbone, for taking the time out of your super busy schedule to chat with me and Mike. Um, but before we end, we want you to reach back in time and tell them yourself just when you were starting out, what advice would you give? little baby Umbone on her professional journey? 
maybe i'm bonus no i mean like the the yeah the, the, yeah when, like, when you're starting out like everybody everybody looks back and says i wish i could have what is your i wish i could have moment you know what what is that thing that you would tell yourself that you think would would be the most impactful i wish i worried less and i wish i just went with the flow more because you know originally i'd say i was following a script as we all are um, it's like, first I'm going to be manager and then I'm going to be blah, blah, and then I'm going to be blah, blah, and then I'm going to work here and there. And that is the surest way to create disappointment for yourself <laughs> by having that kind of expectation. And the moment I let go and just go with the flow and um, just take on new opportunities, stuff started happening for me. And so I... I would say just let go, go with the flow. And um, these, we all have scripts um, just by the function of being human. <laughs> and so become conscious of that script so that you can rewrite it and it can be one of your choosing. I love it. Fantastic. It's, yeah, it's simple and, and, and applicable and profound at the same time. I love it. Yep, because your first draft is always the worst. <laughs> Absolutely. Now, thank you so much for having me. It's been such a pleasure, and I look forward to seeing you guys soon. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode of Served by SHFM, your food service hospitality podcast. Please keep in mind that the views and opinions expressed on today's episode are not necessarily those of SHFM or any of its members.